This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic to cosplay to Schitt's Creek to Supernatural and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to this special episode of It's a Fandom Thing. On this episode, I am very, very excited to be speaking with the co-editors of the new book, The Boys, Soups Ain't Always Heroes, Inside the Complex Characters and Twisted Psychology of the Boys. And those co-editors are Dr. Lynn Zubernis and Dr. Matthew Snyder. So first, I just want to say welcome. Thank you so much for being here. I really love this book, and I want to just make sure all of our listeners know, if you like The Boys, and we've covered The Boys a couple times on the podcast, you need to read this book. Because not only are there a bunch of, like, there are guest essays from psychologists, media experts, filmmakers, But there's also interviews with some of the actors, with Eric Kripke, and with a few other people, too. So welcome. Thank you both. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to start first with that, because there are so many guest contributors to here, and you're both editing this book. So how did you go about finding people to contribute essays to the book? That's always the hardest part of doing an edited collection is trying to figure out who would be who would be able to make a valuable contribution. But at the same time, trying to pick people who are not going to want to write the same thing, because when I have an edited collection, one thing that's really important to me is that the contributors get to write about what they're passionate about and what they want to write about. I don't ever want to be the type of editor who says, okay, you write a chapter on this for me and you write a chapter on that. But that means that you sort of have to take an educated guess about what you think people who you know, or at least know of, are going to write about so that you can invite people to write and there won't be too much overlap. And it, it becomes sort of a process as you go along, as you start to get ideas of titles and then rough drafts to try to help the contributors steer away from overlapping too much. But I think I think that worked really well in this book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with Lynn. She did most of the legwork, but I think the other thing that I think Lynn and I tried to do, and like I said, Lynn had most of the connections, was to, to really look in different areas. 
you know, professors in psychology, people in media, uh, you know, lots of different voices. We even actually had one of our grad students write um, a chapter, a younger guy. Um, and because uh, we really wanted to hear a lot of voices and uh, and a lot of people that love the boys. So, you know, as soon as we kind of said, hey, we're thinking about this or hey, Lynn's thinking about this, that automatically was like, oh, my gosh, yes. I want to be part of this because there were lots of people that were watching the boys that, that, you know, um, we didn't even know about. So once you, you know, once we got that ball rolling, a lot of people said, yes, 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 please, you know, let me, let me get involved. Yeah. And it, and it's so fascinating because reading this book, because while we, we take deep dives on this podcast all the time into shows and fandom and different issues surrounding media and our consumption of it. And this show, there's so much more depth to it, I think, even more than I had realized before reading this. And so I want to start with a little bit of that psychology, especially, you know, coming at it from a fandom standpoint, too, and reading this stuff about when you're going into, like, um, the chapter that you did, Dr. Zuberness, where you were talking about loving the villain, and it's all about Soldier Boy. And, um, how it's kind you felt so many conflicting emotions, and so did the fandom because of Jensen Ackles. And Jensen Ackles, of course, is famously known from Supernatural playing Dean Winchester. And so, do you think, I'm just curious after reading that, do you think that was always going to be the case with a character like Soldier Boy? Was he always going to be someone that people would have conflicting emotions about? Because I know a lot of the villains are not black and white in the show anyway. Or do you think a lot of that was already the built-in fandom around Jensen? I, I think it's both. And I think that's why it was so pronounced, so much more pronounced than I think we usually see. I mean, in my discussions with Eric Kripke, and and there's little snippets of my conversations with Eric Kripke throughout my own chapter, in a lot of my conversations with him, he often talks about how he doesn't like to write anything black and white. And he he doesn't want to, he's not interested in writing villains who are just stereotypes and, you know, a hundred percent bad, evil, and you can just love to hate. He likes to write, really, he he wouldn't say it this way, but I say to him and have said to him, he likes to write like a psychologist. He likes to write realistic humans. So whether they're the good guy who's not always totally a good guy or the bad guy who's not always totally a bad guy, his characters always come out very complex and very nuanced and very real. But that is complicated in a case like Soldier Boy. So some of it is there in the writing. And this comes out in the interview that I have in the book with Jensen Ackles, too, when I ask him about this. He's always, and I know this about him from him contributing to many of my books, he is always one to give credit to the writers, and rightly so. And in this case, I think the writers did write that nuance into the character. They did write in that vulnerability that we're going to see which you didn't see that same kind of vulnerability in the comics version of Soldier Boy, certainly. So this was something that was written this way for the television show. So that would have been there no matter what. But I do think that casting Jensen, who, first of all, I do think is a fabulous actor and is very capable of bringing out that kind of nuance, even without dialogue, 
you know, you can see the exp- the the emotions that the character is feeling because he portrays them so well. So all that vulnerability and torment was going to come through. But B, as you say, he did have a built-in passionate fan base. I, I'm part of the supernatural passionate fan base. And that fan base was used to seeing him as the heroic character Dean Winchester for 15 years. So I do think for fans, it was asking a lot to try to make that leap looking at the same face, although, you know, he looks very different and that was certainly done on purpose and he's not acting anything like Dean Winchester. I don't see Dean Winchester in him at all. But we, of course, all know intellectually that that's Jensen Ackles and we're used to him playing a hero. So I do think those two things combined to make it a really confusing experience. There were times when I watched an episode and found myself going, oh my God, oh no, it sounds like they found something to take out Soldier Boy. No, no, oh no, poor Soldier Boy. I don't want them to take him out. And then kind of had to go, wait a minute, why am I so worried about, they're supposed to be trying to take him out. He's not the good guy. Yeah, yeah. And I know when we talked about season three, and I actually went back to listen to it after reading that chapter, especially, but after reading the whole book, and, you know, two of my panelists were, and one of them, she's very much a supernatural fan, just like me. And both of them were like, I know Soldier Boy is bad, but I just, but it's Jensen Ackles. And it's also just the way he just, but I felt bad for him. And then he had that conversation with his dad and I felt bad for him. And, and Jensen Ackles does those micro, those little micro thing expressions so, so well, and no one can cry quite like him. So, I think that was part of it too, but I definitely see that definitely in the writing. And then I'm wondering, Dr. Snyder, since you weren't necessarily, you weren't really in the supernatural fandom, did you have the same reaction then to seeing Soldier Boy or to seeing a lot of these other um, characters who are complex villains, really? Yeah, I think that's actually what drew me to, you know, the boys. Certainly, you know, growing up, I did all the comics and everything like that. And, you know, I think Batman was probably one of my favorites. But I think the the thing that really struck me about the boys and, and even Soldier, Soldier Boy and, and the character that, you know, Jensen plays so well, they're normal people that got like, you know, stuck with this crazy serum that makes them into superheroes. So like and and that's such a different take. Than almost any other kind of comic-based um, TV show, or you know, this idea that these are normal people, and 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 what they do so well is they even go back into their past, and they they kind of tell you why they are the way they are, and I think that's one of the reasons why maybe Soldier Boy, everybody's you can understand him better, and 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 you can kind of throw out the idea of villains, right, and and even heroes because we don't have either of those in this show. What we have are are really deep characters um and we can understand and they're very narcissistic like every single one's a, 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 almost you know hands down a narcissist but you can understand their narcissism you know they're they're out there trying to get their needs met and and honestly like Lynn and I talk about this a lot you know if, if you ask you know homelander or or um you know soldier boy they think they're doing the right things a lot of the times like they think they're in the right i mean you know home like we could spend hours on homelander but he believes that he's in the right um, so he thinks he is a hero. And I, and I think on some level, Soldier Boy feels the same way. He's not doing anything wrong. Um, and uh, he's trying to get his needs met. And, uh, it, you know, 
again, maybe all in response to his upbringing and his father and, and you know, all the things that his father said. But but we can care about them because they feel so real. Yeah. And they're going through a lot of issues that we go through. It, you know, it's it's you know, it's totally in a different kind of fantasy way, but they're still going through a lot of the same issues that we do as human beings. Well said. Well, that's exactly what it's like. It's almost like crazy. Like I say that they're real and they're so deep and yet, you know, they're, they're throwing nuclear missiles around or doing whatever crazy things that they're doing or, you know, punching, you know, holes, you know, in, in walls and things like that. But yet, if you go at the deeper level, like you said, if you think of it, you know, from kind of a psychological, you know, people are like, oh, I go through that every day. Like, or I think about that every day or that, you know, so so there's these real themes that keep coming through that I think people can relate to. Yeah, definitely. And then, and another big thing, and I know, Dr. Snyder, you did the whole chapter on that with the toxic masculinity yeah. and everything. And that is like, that seeps in through everything and not just with the male characters, because mm-hmm. I think people forget how that affects women as well. And absolutely, um, you know, and you really saw that with Stormfront, of course, more than anybody yep. probably. Yeah. But I want to know about that toxic masculinity, because I know what struck me the most in season three, what I was so conflicted about, and I know it's brought up a little bit in, in the book, of course, is the character of Huey, which is to me, Huey is supposed to be like the audience in a way is what mm-hmm. I've always viewed him. Sure. And then you've got this whole season where I was like, Oh, I cannot stand you what you're doing. Oh, you're falling for this. And and Butcher is already complex, but you yes. know, and kind of yes. very much an anti-hero, but also we'll get yes. into a question about the villain stuff there. But did you find that with Huey as well? Like, do you think the reason Huey is like a stand-in for the audience almost? I don't know if you agree with that. And then he's struggling with that toxic masculinity. Did you find that maybe that's like a comment on the viewers and viewers mm-hmm. falling into toxic masculinity. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's very insightful. I mean, I think, um, you know, one of my favorites, uh, scenes and I, I won't remember it exactly, but, um, it's with, they're eating the Doritos or whatever, him and Starlight. And he talks about his father and he talks about strength. And I think that's the internal struggle that Huey was going through. Because he sees all this toxic masculinity. And like you said, he fell for it in season three. But that, but then yet he says his father is one of the strongest people that that and he just realized that in that scene because he he, he was there. It, it, you know, he said, Hey, my dad, like my mom left me, my dad, he, you know, heated up hot pockets. And he was there. And that's the strength that Huey was talking about. And I think that's that's his struggle. He sees all these people. I mean, he he basically takes you know, compound B. I mean, and, and we're all going, oh my God, no, no, no. But that's what we talk about um, in the book a little bit is like, well, what, what would you do if you, you know, were, would you turn down superpowers? You know, knowing that um, if you take these superpowers, then, then you turn into, you know, pardon my Frenchie, an asshole. Right. So um, I think that's the struggle that, that we all look at, you know, could we be as strong as Huey? Huey? And then when he got kind of weak or, or turn to the dark side, so to speak, right? Um, mm-hmm. We were all going, no, no, no. But I think that's the question that you're you're saying. Would we take it? Like, so if, if Huey kind of represents the audience, represents us, and we see the show through him, then he goes down that rabbit hole of, of taking uh, the compound V. And, and what, what would we do? Would, would we take it? 
And and I think, I mean, that's the point. I think that's largely what makes the show so powerful because none of us is above any of the things that happen to these people. That's the whole point of it. Yui, like everybody else, absorbs the toxic masculinity culture that is around him and wants to buy into it. That's the way we are all enculturated. We all see the misogyny and buy into that. We all see the toxic masculinity and buy into that. So what we see is Yui's struggle against that you know, to get away from that knee jerk reaction of, oh, my dad was not manly and strong and he was not the way he should be because he was complacent and he was nurturing and he was sensitive and he called me a sensitive boy. And I don't like that because I can't be a man if I'm being called a sensitive boy. And it it really, you know, when he's in the relationship with Annie, it accentuates that because she is very strong. So she in herself as a soup is countering that narrative that's in his head of, I have to be the strong one. I have to be the protector. It's my job to protect her. And his struggle is to move away from accepting those tropes and really interrogate them and see them Mm -hmm. for what they are. And that's really literally what we all do every day. We look around us and we see the cultural pressures that are pushing us in one direction or the other. And can we find the strength and the clarity to look at them and then decide for ourselves, is that really, is that who I want to be? Is that what I want to buy into? But Yui shows us how hard it is not to buy into that. Yeah. And it really makes you question your, yourself too. Like, because at the same time, even though you're yelling at Huey, a lot of the audience for this whole, this show has been like, Oh, yay, butcher. Yes. Get them, get them. Yes. And all of that. Meanwhile, you know, it's, but there's a chapter here all about narcissism and there's that table and marking off, mm-hmm. you know, what, you know, things all the characters fall into. And of course, butcher is on there. Too. And there's also an analysis that he's a sociopath as well. Um, and I definitely agree that Homelander, definitely to me, I was like, that's a sociopath right there. Um, but also putting that against Butcher is so interesting. And so I wanted to talk about that, about both Homelander and um, Butcher and how, you know, Butcher is that supposed anti hero, but could also be seen as a villain. And I almost see them as two sides of the same coin kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if both of you agree with that. But do, do you think that either one of them are off the hook from being a villain? I mean, of course, Homelander isn't. But do you think Butcher is a villain or? I'll, I'll let Matt mostly answer this because it goes more to his chapter. But the interesting thing to me is that a lot of people look at Billy Butcher not as the villain and not even as the anti-hero, but as the hero. I I certainly know many fans who don't, you know, I don't want to say don't see the complications in his character and the nuance in the character because they do see it. But I think we instinctively kind of want to look for the hero in a show like this. And Butcher is the one that at least at first stands out as this is the vengeful hero kind of archetype. So it always amazes me that many people actually see him as a hero. I I really don't. I I see him as definitely the anti-hero, but sometimes as the villain. And sometimes for me, especially in the first season when I wasn't sure 
what the show was trying to portray him as. I often found myself, and Matt and I would talk about this, I almost, you know, I found myself saying, he's he's such an asshole. He's just like, what? This is the hero? He's such an asshole. So it's interesting to me that some people really did see him as a hero. <laughs> yeah, I can certainly enjoy I, I I mean, one of the funniest things I think about the show is that they really kind of portray, I mean, if you think about it, you, you know, you have Huey, and you have you have Butcher and you you have Homelander. And 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 Huey and Butcher, like they really play off of one of each other. And then you're trying to figure out like what roles are they playing. And you know, Butcher's always calling people, you know, female anatomy, right? Like he's always like you. And 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 one team, uh, you know, um, Huey's like, you know what? That's I'll I'll be that. Like it, it, you know, it's strong and it's flexible. And it's like, you know, why mm-hmm. why is that such a bad thing? So, so in reality, like Butcher is not a good guy. Like, you know, his take on life is, is, I mean, he is quintessentially toxic, you know, masculinity. And so is Homelander. But the difference, I think, if you look at these characters, eventually, like, and the vengeful, you know, hero, and Lynn and I talked about this a lot, like, at what cost? So, like, Homelander is, is a complete sociopath because, like you said, like, he'll throw people off buildings. I mean, he threw that poor girl off a building. He has no, like, there is no kind of, like, hmm, you know, should I do this? I think Butcher's always struggling with himself. He He's a complete narcissist. Yeah. He, he's, like, he he wants to be called daddy by by the boys, right? Hey, daddy's home. Like, there's there's nothing about him that isn't, you know, a narcissist. And and um, I think that... The, I'm not sure whether they call him a narcissist in the chapter, but, you know, I certainly do. But I think the thing that that sets Butcher apart from Homelander is that he's always questioning. He's always wondering, you know, he's always like, you know, do I do I need to take care, you know, of, you know, my son? And now we know it's not his son. Like, there's always kind of a questioning part. There's always like Butcher wondering with Maeve. I mean, you, you go down you know, time and time and time again. And I think Huey plays off of that. Huey comes up, comes across really strong. And, and that's why, like, I think you're with me in season three. I'm like, oh, no, Huey, don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. But you could see him, you know, kind of. Uh, but he would always stand up uh, to Butcher and he would always make Butcher think, you know. Um, and I think that's the question that we ask at what cost? Right. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, keep going. Yeah. Like, you know, am I doing the right thing? And at, at what? So like if Butcher's point was like, I don't care if I kill everybody. I'll kill everybody I want. I just need revenge. And I think that's why he comes across as such a narcissist. I was going to say the the other difference that I see between them is a, a lot of the show. Now that we've seen three seasons of it, a lot of the characters have been allowed to have some kind of evolution. But in true the boys fashion. It's hardly ever your stereotypical redemption arc or any kind of evolution that has a nice upward slope like this, which, of course, very realistic. But I do think Butcher's character has had a little more evolution than Homelander's character. Kylie Hemmert's um, chapter in the book, like, talks about how Yui and Butcher are intertwined and how out of that relationship, which I think she rightly points out is kind of codependent in a lot of ways echoing Sam and Dean Winchester in yeah. some ways. Yeah. Um, and that's an excellent chapter. It really uh, yeah, is. it really is. And I, I think she does make the point, she identifies all the points where Butcher has evolved out of that relationship. And I, I do think that's a bit of a difference between the two characters. Yeah, all the way to the end. 
right? Where, yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. The kind of the final scene where they're battling with Homelander and, you know, Homelander's son's there. And it, yeah. 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 I th- and I think that a lot of that also is, you know, there's, I think Butcher genuinely, genuinely loves Huey. I think there's this big love for him. And I think there's a part of him that's like, actually doesn't want Huey to be like him and is hoping maybe he'll do it a different, I don't know. That's kind of how I've always seen it. But that's interesting with the seeing Butcher as a hero with some of the fans, which I haven't, I, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, I think that happens a lot when you had like, I mean, like the show Dexter, for instance, and you had a show of, with a serial killer and you're rooting for the serial killer and you're not supposed to be rooting for a serial killer, that kind of thing. Well, you, let me jump in because you make an excellent point. Yeah. Like, think about it when when um, Butcher's younger brother dies. It's because he took a gun. And now Huey's taking the V. And it, and if you think of the parallels, it's really astonishing. I mean, talk about wonderful writing. Uh, but, it, you know, so, again, like turning to violence. And he didn't really want Huey to turn turn to violence and then kind of become like him, just like his, you know, younger brother who passed away, um, you know, uh, turned to. Like he wanted to shoot his father. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. They both come in giftable boxes with savings up to $46 and free shipping for a limited time. Go to OSEAMalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. Yeah, and, and a lot of these characters also are suffering from PTSD, lots of PTSD. And of course, also there, there's sexual assault, there's grief, there's lots of trauma that people are dealing with. And I'm wondering if both of you believe that using a show like this and exploring those topics and really going and diving deep into them and not doing it in a glossing over kind of way and showing how complex those are. Do you think that helps the viewer a lot and then helps other people understand their own mental health struggles? I do. Yeah. I I think, you know, we don't, we don't go to media like this for a 100% 100% accurate portrayal of life. And, and, you know, that's that's not what we're watching fictional media for. But at the same time, we do learn a lot from fictional media. And we and one of the things that this show does so well and why we became fascinated enough by it to want to write a book on it, honestly, is that it is a mirror for real life in a lot of ways. And it doesn't gloss over things and it doesn't oversimplify things. You know, there's there's a lot of fairy tale-ish narratives in all genres, not just in the fairy tale genre of, you know, something bad happens and that's the starting point for an adventure. And then the person just transcends that. And, you know, we never see 
what that does to them. They never wake up screaming in the middle of the night and they they never flinch every time that there's a, 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 you know, a loud noise. And we don't see kind of the, the day to day long standing things that trauma and loss can do to us as people. This show, it, it's, it's remarkable for a show that moves very quickly. It's only eight episodes for each season. And so in some ways it moves very quickly, but in other ways it really takes its time and doesn't gloss over those things. So you hear the history of trauma. So it goes back long before we were actually watching the show and you see the results of that trauma still playing out decades later in these now adult characters. And nobody you know, waves a magic wand or snaps their fingers and makes it go away. They have to work really hard to get past some of it. And they have to struggle and they have to go down pathways that are self-destructive or destructive to other people before some of them start to come out a little bit on the other side. Mm -hmm. I do think I, I once in a, I don't think this is in the book, but in a conversation with Kripke, he told me what a hopeful show he thought it was. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> well, I don't know if a lot of people would say that, but I know what he means. There is, it is a hopeful show in the sense that these characters do evolve and they do get better. It's just very slowly, just like it is in the real world. I mean, we mm -hmm. as psychologists, you have to learn to be very patient as much as you relate to your clients and you'd like to snap your fingers and just make them better. That's not the way humans work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot of backtracking too. You can take a few steps forward and then something else happens to knock you back. Inevitably. Very chaotic, right? I mean, the deep is a great example of what we're talking yeah. about, right? I mean, what a complex, interesting character. Um, but like, you know, it's so funny. I, I can't remember if it's uh, Connor Mears or, or some of the other chapters. I think, you know, every single character that you look at, whether it's the deep or Maeve or like, um, tremendous backstories you know of different kind of struggles that they had to go through and each of them is just trying to get their needs met i mean a train i mean we could go on and on and on it's it's amazing lynn's right the complexity that they get to in eight shows is is truly amazing yeah and with so many different characters like you didn't really get to know black noir's backstory at yeah. all until season three and then with having the whole cartoon yeah and everything like that, which that story to me was one of the most tragic stories in the whole thing. Really broke my heart. That really and, broke and my brilliantly heart. done with the cartoons. Yeah. Like brilliant like mm -hmm. brilliant. Yeah. And then I also love in this my favorite character is um well my favorite characters are Frenchie and Kimiko are my absolute hands down favorite characters. And what I love about them, and I wanted to ask you about this, especially going back to like even the toxic masculinity and then also with PTSD, of course, is especially with Frenchie. Frenchie is like one of the few male characters in this show that is so like not toxic, like and becomes less and less toxic as the show goes on. And it's almost like, and not even just his relationship, friendship with Kimiko, who I know a lot of people were very like disappointed it wasn't romantic. <laughs> Not me. I love these. I love Kripke's doing platonic relationships upright. <laughs> yeah, I mean it is it is nice. But did you did you find that too with Frenchie? Do you think Frenchie kind of represents 
that um, pushback against toxic masculinity, even more than Huey. Um, he, yeah, I mean, Frenchie is such an interesting character because because if, if you think about it, he he's the one that really struggles with, you know, kind of his heartbreaking. Uh, you know, he's supposed to take care of those kids and, and you know, yet but he chose to take care of his friends and, he, he, you know, tragedy ensued and people got basically incinerated. And and you could see, unlike maybe Homelander, who you know has killed how many people, or or, or Stormfront, or like they're truly you know evil. Like when you think of kind of evil, and and basically we think of evil as kind of uncaring and kind of getting your needs met. Um, you know, and and evil is an interesting thing if you think about it, because like if you look at Homelander, like he still wants to be loved, right? Um, so it's, it's evil's not necessarily about like not wanting something evil is about not caring about anybody else but yourself. Right. And, and Frenchie is the complete opposite of that. Right. He cares probably too much. Right. And it gets him in trouble. Like Frenchie gets in trouble and yet he's done horrible things as well. Like he is not That's out right. of that, you know, pot as far as, you know, and they kind of hit at it sometimes the things that he did. And and the other thing that I think that is really interesting, if you look at Frenchie or, or uh, Frenchie for very specifically, but, but other characters as well, they have a lot of pain because of everything that happened to them. And I think they they turn to like Frenchie turns to drugs a lot, but also he turns to like he wants to balance the scales somehow. Right. And, and you know, he's always trying to help Kimiko, you know, mainly, uh, but others as well, because he really feels like he wants to balance that scale. And he's got a lot of pain. Um, and I think that's part of the, the drug uses is, is like he, he doesn't want that weighing on his soul. I like that they that they through the different characters, they show the fact that not everybody reacts to trauma in the same way. Bingo. Frenchie's background, like his history with his father of overt, horrible abuse from his father and being torn away from his mother, that's the same kind of background as Soldier Boy had. It's, you know, it's even similar to the deprivation of, of Homelander. It's similar to the abuse that Billy Butcher, like all of them have these similar traumatic backstories. But Frenchie's reaction, partly because of the type of person that he was, partly because we all deal with things differently, instead of sort of externalizing everything, Frenchie internalizes everything. So he becomes more self-destructive, masochistic even, you know, escaping, taking drugs, still trying to reach out to people, wanting to make it better. That is just as realistic a reaction to trauma as the others. And it really shows the kind of wide variety that there is, the way humans react. Everybody can experience the exact same situation and react completely differently because the context of their own life is so different. But Frenchie is also, I think, a very hopeful character. The way he and Kimiko negotiate their relationship and come to an understanding and develop that deep bond. And I do love that it's a platonic bond. So we can't even just dismiss it as well. They're in love. I mean, they love each other like Sam and Dean love each other, but it's a platonic bond that we don't get to see very often. And I, I love in the end when he stands up to butcher and is kind of like, you know, I've had it with you just ordering me around and telling me what to do. I'm not your gun that you can point at other people. So he has his own evolution arc in there, which I, I think is a really hopeful one. Yeah, I, to I totally agree with that. Yeah, he and he wasn't my favorite character 
from the get-go, he became my favorite character. And I just I just love him and the performance. I mean, all the performances in the show amazing. are amazing. Yeah. All the writing, everything like that is is incredible. And I want to go a little bit to when you because you're editing this, you're already fans of the show. You already are looking at it, uh, at the psychology and everything. But did you learn anything else new about the show or even about yourselves just through editing this book? Oh, Lord, yes. I, I think we, <laughs> I think we learned so much more about the show than I expected. And I, I think that is partly because we really did consciously try, you know, as two psychologists, it would have been easy for us to just reach out to psychologists and say, hey, let's put together a book on the psychology of the boys. I, you know, I, there's a book that I edited with Travis Langley called the psychology of or supernatural psychology. And that is all psychologists writing about the show. And that would have been interesting, but that's not what we wanted to do. We wanted to get all different viewpoints. So in a way, the chapters that I find the most fascinating and that I learned the most from are the ones written by non-psychologists. So there's a, a journalist, you know, who worked for a major uh, entertainment publication for decades who writes about the parallels between Vaught and Hollywood and all the toxic systems of misogyny and sexism and, and how it's a mirror for that. There's uh, a person who is in in database management like a, like a tech person who really understands the ins and outs of the studio system and the network system who writes about the phenomenon of a show that is satirizing powerful big corporations being produced and run on a show that is you know on Amazon you know prime video <laughs> yeah. like imagine that there's a there's a filmmaker who hung out in New York with Garth Ennis, who created the boys years ago and comes from that, understands that working class background. Like I learned so much from those chapters written by people who have a different background than me and a different lens than me and new ways to look at the show through their own experience that were really different from mine. Tina Charles in her chapter about Black Noir from being a journalist in, in all kinds of different venues and being a person of color herself and writing about that from that perspective. I just, I learned so much from those chapters. I don't know about you, Matt. Yeah, uh, echoing everything that you said, Lynn, and also like you like it's so funny. Like Aaron, we I probably watched the show through like five times, and we we were writing the chapters, and of course I forgot to write down every single scene because you had to write down the scene. Like so, I'm like watching it back after reading all the other chapters, and I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, what this says about politics and society, and and you know and and they're pulling down vaught peas you know to, to ice their their um their eye and i'm like man like there's so many different levels and i think i was just looking at it as a psychologist and as a counselor and thinking about ptsd and you know masculinity and, and you know all the you know 
all the different things that the characters are going through. And I totally miss all of the other layers that I think are, are kind of interwoven um, in the show. And I really appreciate um, because like you, I read it like you read it. Like there was a first time that I read these chapters as well as we're editing. Um, and I was struck by like, yeah, I never even thought about that. And, and uh, the, you know, thinking of uh, all the different, I mean, like just thinking about safety, right? So they, the, and there's lots of, common themes through all the chapters so if you think about like well what does safety cost us as a citizen right are are we are, are we willing to give up kind of our freedom are we willing to give up you know our independence or 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 are we allowed to are we able to let everybody all these superheroes like do whatever they want to do and give them all kinds of money and, and and do we feel safe in that way so there's all these kind of even very existential themes um that run through uh the the um the series and, and i can't wait for the next uh you know uh season four to see how all this all plays out but you know even family structure things that um you, you know that came through as themes all the way through the chapter so yeah i i feel like um it was very eye-opening to to help lynn with this book it was it was one of the nice benefits of not telling our contributors what to write about. Like I I knew all of them in in some way shape or form at least a little. So I had maybe a vague idea of at least their background and what they might write about, but they had free reign to write about what really had fascinated them about the show. And so it was just so different and the insights were so different. And I'm, I'm familiar from my other books, which often collaborated with the actors of a show. So I know you always get interesting insights from the people who actually brought these characters to life. But this book was in some ways different because my other books are about supernatural and I felt like I knew those characters inside out. I didn't feel like I knew these characters that well. So like talking to Aya Cash about how she portrayed Stormfront and her own journey as a Jewish woman portraying that character. Like that was fascinating to me or Mm -hmm. Nate Mitchell talking about Black Noir. Even I know Jensen, but I don't know Soldier Boy like I know Dean Winchester. So his insights about playing Soldier Boy, like so much of it was new to me, which was really, really interesting. Yeah, that's what was so fascinating to me reading this book because I'm a huge fan of the show and we've delved into it on the podcast, but it was still was like, oh, wow, yeah, yeah. And just layer after layer after layer and how all the characters in a lot of respects are so interconnected and interwoven and sharing their traumas with the world, really. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I love that. And I just wanted to know, really, I mean, there are so many questions I could, I could talk to you both forever, but I won't keep you forever. But I did want to know just a fun little one is I love all the action figures that you have in there that are done by um, Handsome Roundtree, the second, aka HR Zone 2. And I'm sure other Supernatural fans know this person's work and have seen it. And I'm just curious, wanted to ask both of you if you have a favorite. I can tell you right away, mine's Frenchie. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. like just the, you know, the way that he captured kind of, it seems like he's really thinking, right? And and really kind of in, introspective, which I, uh, yeah, I just love that one. So I, this is very predictable. I'm sorry, but I, I love the Soldier Boy one, but it's partly, it's partly because, I was there when he, when HR showed me 
he came up to my was uh, at the in the vendor room at a convention and he came up to me with the new soldier boy one and said look look i want to show it to you i'm about to go in and show it to jensen so i was there when all that excitement was going on and it was actually that day when i was like you know doing a book on the boys and it would be really cool to feature your i've seen some of your figures would you be willing to do that so that's all wrapped up to me in the the nice memories of that day and how excited jensen was to see the soldier boy and how much he loved it so i'm gonna that's my excuse for why that one is my favorite No, I, I I think they're all all great. I like the butcher one a lot too, but I I think they're all they're they're. I mean, the work is just I'm just blown away just looking at any of those. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's incredible. I I wanted to include in all my books. I always, you know, in the in the other books I've done, I explicitly include like an examination of the fandom and contributions from fans and. This book was a little bit different in its goals, but I still wanted to really sort of pay homage to fandom creativity and how the fans interact with the show. And this is the way I thought would be good to do it visually because, you know, he he talks about the whole process that goes into making one of these figures and the way his passion for the show gets translated into that creative pursuit. And fans are just, you know, I'm amazed constantly as a not super artistic person at all the kinds of different creativity that fans bring to something and how much that enriches the whole experience of watching a show like The Boys. Agree, agree. And so then on that note, just a final question I wanted to ask. And I know, Dr. Snyder, this fandom was a little was a new thing for you. But (laughs) but since we we are we were started because of the fact that I had a bunch of friends that I met through fandom, through supernatural mainly. And, um, and I know that for you, Dr. Zubernis, I know that that is a big thing in your life too. The, you know, everybody knows it's known as SPN family, if you don't know. And so I'm wondering though, the fandom around the boys, I know some of it overlaps since because of Kripke and because of Jensen, of course, but did you find a new family within this fandom as well? And then same thing for you, Dr. Snyder too. I really, I am still very much ensconced in my SPN family, and there's so much crossover between the Supernatural fandom and the boys fandom that it's still the same people for me. It's just that some of those people are now in a subset for me of people who I go on and on and on about the boys with. And then other people who I still go on and on and on about Supernatural with. But I have met some um, some other people, too. Some some people who were only in the boys fandom and didn't come to it from Supernatural. Because certainly, I mean, I started watching it in season one. So it's not like I went over to watch it when Jensen was cast of, oh, maybe I'll go see the show. I I will watch anything that Eric Kripke makes. And so I fell in love with it in season one. I didn't fall into an organized fandom in the same way that I did with Supernatural. I feel like with the boys for me, it is in some ways more an intellectual fascination than a purely id-based emotional fascination, which was how Supernatural started out. I would say now I have an intellectual fascination with Supernatural and an emotional fascination with the boys, but they started out coming from different places. So there, there's no equivalent like the boys family 
it's it is a different kind of fandom. And if you know, if you go on the you know, like the Reddit boys discussion groups, you'll it is a very intellectual discussion in a lot of ways, which I think is very fascinating, but it's very different from the supernatural fandom. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, I would say that I've just dipped my toes into it, but when so, right? Like if you look at the Reddit stuff, um, they talk about all the things that we talk about in the book, which was fascinating to me. And I, and I, and I didn't do that till after we were pretty much 99% done with the book. I, because we were starting to think about how would how would we reach out to people, and it's amazing. Like they're just as insightful as I I am. Like I was like, wow, I didn't even think about that. Like it's very different, you know. Just knowing Lynn and and how you guys are a family. If you look at the the um, the boys stuff, that they they really go right into like, hey, what does this mean, and what do you think, and um, you know, they talk about politics and they talk about narcissism and they talk like they they really they it's very existentially deep. Not to say that the supernatural fandom isn't deep. Is I mean, the, yeah. The, yeah. the meta that has been written about supernatural could fill. Uh, but like, did that come later, though? I feel like that no, came later. No, came right no, 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 no. That was there were there were whole live journal communities devoted. Right you know, SPN yeah. Heavy Meta was a yeah. community on live journal from the beginning. So well, it'll be interesting that, to see if that happens with the boys and where where it kind of goes because I feel like you know. Um, Obviously, Supernatural has been around like 15, 16 years. So it'll be interesting to see how the fandom for the boys evolves. It will. Yeah. And yeah. and how long it stays. The Supernatural fandom is surprisingly really still in existence and still rolling oh, yeah. more than, you know, three years after yeah. after the show's been over. So it will be really interesting to see how different this fandom is. Yeah, I'm in the middle of a rewatch of Supernatural right now. So <laughs> me too. <laughs> so and with the other with the offshoots for for the boys with Gen V and all of that stuff yeah. starting too will also probably create that too. Thank you both so much. And really I encourage everybody to read this book because especially if you're a fan of the boys, but I mean, well, if you're not a fan of the boys, you're going to get you're going to get spoiled by everything. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Make sure you watch the show first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But thank you both so much. And if you want to tell everybody where they can find you, if you have social media presence or websites or anything like that, you can find me on all social media at Fangasm SPN. I have a website, FangasmTheBook.com. Um, they, there is a website up for, uh, the book on smart pop, smart pop slash the boys. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's where you can find me. The last one for the boys. Okay. Awesome. And I'll put that link in the show notes too. So people can easily click over there. So thank you both again so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. We like, we like to talk about this. So thanks for the good yeah, question. You can go on forever. <laughs> Thank you again to Dr. Lynn Zubernis and Dr. Matthew Snyder for speaking with me about the fantastic new book, Soup Saint Always Heroes, The Psychology of the Boys. The book is available on December 5th. You can pre-order it right now, and I do encourage you to do it. And if you're looking for a Christmas gift for like your friend or your family member or anyone who's a fan of the boys, this would make a great, great Christmas gift. It's so, so interesting. And if you are a fan of the show, especially you, this is kind of like a must have, I think personally. And I also want to say, and it wasn't mentioned in the interview, but I want to give a shout out to frequent panelist, Tanya Cook, because they have a chapter that they co-wrote in this book as well. 
So another great reason to check it out. So their link will be in the show notes. Head on over there, support this book, you know, add it to your Christmas list. Maybe tell people this is on my Christmas wish list, but look for it on December 5th. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. On TikTok at it's a fandom thing pod. If you would like to be a potential interview guest on the show, please head on over to our website. It's a fandomthingpod.com. Click the contact us button there and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. And until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate. 